You're listening to the Deliberative Podcast. Welcome to the Deliberative, your weekly podcast all about Exalted. I'm your host, Corey, and joining me today, as always, are Charles. Hey, and Jim. How's it going? Man, it's going well. And let's just talk about how well it's been going with getting right into how our week's been going in creation. What have you guys been up to this week with Exalted and the game and all that other stuff? Well, Corey, um, we had a listener, uh, Luis, who asked a martial arts question a few weeks ago. He actually has submitted a martial arts style, the Unconquerable Sea Style. Uh, And we have we've posted that to the five poles website and also Luis mentioned I think it was on Facebook that one of his players was playing an archer and he they actually were thinking about picking up the stinging hornet style that (laughs) that's cool that we did that I designed so this week I've actually added two more charms to that style and we're going to post that on the website that's awesome. So, yeah, flesh that out a little bit. So you can go to the website and see that. The That's form cool. charm and an additional charm. So and, what you're telling me is no one wants to be a peacock. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> or use some silly pun named uh, martial art. <laughs> but a uh, big thank you to Luis for submitting an entry into that challenge. And... Uh, uh, enjoyed seeing what he had created and, and hope do we have a lot more listeners to participate in future challenges because that was really neat mm. well this just shows you if you take the time and you submit it to us we're gonna we're gonna put it up there for yeah, you. That's we're right. gonna let other people see it that's right well another thing that uh, we did this week uh, we on our deepwild.com uh, play-by-post site as we restarted our uh, Solar's game, our third edition Solar's game, Caldera, there. And yeah. we're right in the middle of our first big combat scene with a giant swarm of flaming locusts right now. And so <laughs> <laughs> that's been, uh, it's been interesting. It's been fun. And uh, so if you, you want to check out our story and, and get up to date on what we've been doing, you can, you can go over to deepwild.com and look at that. But we did have, we had a bit of a downer. Uh, this last week as we tried to record our second episode of our actual play podcast uh, wild shape that's kind of coming together our first episode was a blast it was amazing we had a lot of fun second episode we made a critical decision very early on in the show like even actually before we started recording i gave these guys a couple choices said what do you think we should do and we had a choice to use the battle groups style of combat or to use the individual combat. We were dealing with only three adversaries. And so it was like, should we use battle groups for three adversaries or should we use individual? And we made the wrong choice there. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk all did about we. Yeah, we did. It was big. Yeah. So we're going to talk all about that in just a minute when we get to our feature discussion, because we're going to have a feature discussion this week on exalted combat and the, uh, all the different ways and shapes that that takes in an exalted game. 
and we're going to we're going to share some of the lessons that we learned with you in that as well as just talking about you know all the other time all the other times and all the other types of combat that you can get into so we're going to get to that in a minute but first we want to hear how charles's exalted game's been going that he's been playing uh in real life with his buddy so what's been going on there charles it's so good it's so good man <laughs> like you know i was really nervous when i started out because i'd never written my own adventure or story or scenario or whatever you want to call it and didn't really know how to do it i tried to do that stuff on and off over the past you know i don't know 15 years or whatever and i never right. really uh committed to starting and then finishing one so yeah. Um, you know, we have the episode which shall not be named first, <laughs> and then then we had the actual first episode which went really well. In this last one, um, there. So what's happening is they're investigating these. Uh, well, it starts off that the town's baker has gone missing, and the wife pleads mm. with the circle to go find him, okay. and. It's set in the Far East in very thick woods, and I kind of like the idea of these uh, pretty organized, uh, like, bandit patrols right. out in the wilderness to be this persistent mortal threat, you know? Okay. And so they went out looking. They encountered this group of 100 and killed, like, 80 of them in one turn. I know we talked about that last episode right. or the one before that. And that was really cool. And it turns out that when they got back, the baker had already returned. And they were like, <laughs> uh, okay. And, like, the wife was just so grateful. She said, oh, thank you. You found him. And I'll never be able to repay you. And they're like, yes. <laughs> we did this this was us like they they instantly took all of the credit it was hilarious um but then when they were talking to him he was very uh like non or he was very detached seeming he didn't have very much emotion okay. and he wasn't responding like a normal person would even a socially awkward person wouldn't respond like he did so oh, okay. they were like oh maybe he's possessed and they tried, um, you know, looking to see any spirits in the area. And I was like, no, there aren't any. So what happened then is they wanted to watch this guy. So they set up surveillance outside of his house. And s during one of the shift changes, um, they missed him. And the next morning they found him. There's like this tyrant lizard carcass that's been... You know, it's just bones now, but it's right. just outside of town. And freaky. Gareth, yeah, Gareth the Baker was found impaled on one of these ribs. And that's where we left the first Oops. section because they were like, yeah, they were like, <laughs> um, yeah, we brought this guy back and now he's dead. So that's probably worse. So um, they did some talking with the sheriff, which maybe I erroneously let them name her because she's now known as Sheriff Daisy. Oh no! Um, yeah, well, don't don't worry. They kind of solved that problem here in a minute. So, okay. so they were kind of looking around to see what the problem was, and then um, some other townsperson went missing. So they went out looking for him, and they finally found him. And as they approached, um, the the townsperson turned around and attacked one of them. 
And um, then I used... uh, I didn't have them do actual combat. I just had the uh, Avenging Angel Doncast make a uh, strength plus dex roll. And, you know, he got a success. So I said, okay, you kill the guy. Right. And as they investigated it, it was actually a townsperson that they knew. Ooh. And yeah, the connection I had is that the uh, Dawncast priest who is making up his own religion, which is called the Five Gates of Rebirth, and there's one <laughs> one gate which correlates to each of the solar casts. So okay. he's like kind of subtly reintroducing the solar order back into society. Nice. And I was like, oh, this is one of your followers. And they were like, uh, crap, right? <laughs> and then... They spent the next hour deciding what are we going to do with the body? Like, do we drag it back? Do we leave it? Do we bury him? Just a impale couple... it on the tyrant lizard burst. <laughs> <laughs> but throughout the course of that role playing, two characters gained a point of limit, Ooh. which was awesome. Yeah. Was cool. Because the priest can't tell lies like he has to expose the truth if he knows it and they basically said we're gonna leave the body out here and they'll find it and like we had nothing to do with it and he said (laughs) okay and i said cool you gain a point of limit and everyone's like oh no like that was almost the end of the world right until you know we realized like you have to gain 10 points before something actually bad happens but so then it ended with them going back into town you know ignoring this person that they brutally murdered right you know out in the (laughs) woods and as they get back sheriff daisy has set herself on fire in the middle of town square and killed herself and i was like roll credits and they were like what the crap (laughs) so they really don't know what's going on but it's a lot of fun there was a lot of good role playing this last that's cool man that sounds like a lot of fun wow interesting stuff well i can't wait to hear more i mean i think this is an interesting story that's been just kind of opening up before us here so we'll look forward to hearing more about that well as we promised we want to talk a little bit about combat in your exalted games and the various the various forms that that combat can take and how to choose between them now there are (laughs) if you go by the core rule book there are four different choices that a storyteller has when he's trying to decide how any given combat's going to go down and we were faced with two of those choices on our <laughs> Wild Shape episode two. And so before I'm we... I'm sorry. That, I just remember how we did it. And it was like, man, this definitely should have been done a different way. Right. Yeah. So, so prior, to, prior to starting the recording, I sent out a text message to the other guys. And I said, all right, we've got three antagonists outside this place and you know it's the combat's about to go down and when you hear the first episode of wild shape when we finally get that up you'll hear i mean you'll understand at the end of the first episode there's three antagonists and so uh the second episode starts with essentially that combat so i said we've got three guys but what should we do should we do them as a battle group or should we do them at treat them as individuals and do the whole withering and decisive thing and we kind of waffled back and forth. People were saying, oh yeah, it seems like it's, you know, this is more like, uh, this is more like the individual combat style. And, 
and I and I was even pointing out in the core rule book, you know, it says a size zero battle group is one or two people, but then a size one <laughs> battle group is like a dozen or a half dozen or something. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, what do you do with three? It's right on the fence, right? It's just right on the fence. Is that, you know? And somebody somebody said, <laughs> some prophetic person said <laughs> said if well if we do it as a battle group, it's just going to be over really quickly. Hmm. And I'm like, oh yeah, I think, well, that, I think that was me. Yeah, it probably was. And so I said, <laughs> oh well, we don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> and we did not get that. <laughs> <laughs> no. So we said, oh well, you know, it'll be great to do the individual style because we'll get to do a lot of stunting and do, you know, we'll get to show everybody how awesome Exalted's combat uh, system is or whatever with all of our stunts and whatnot. And how long it is, too. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, now, in the defense of the combat system, we did, and we don't really get, want to get into spoilers here about why this is the case, but our circle of solars was not fully engaged with those three people, and the, and the, uh, the combat itself kept getting changed up. One person was sitting out for a while, then this, uh, anyway. Yeah. The reality is, though, it took like three hours to do that combat. <laughs> and even when even when editing out all of the book checks and everything else it still would have just been like an hour an hour and a half of just like you know straight up trying to kill three three guys who we knew were gonna lose at the very beginning of the thing because it's three solars going up against three mortals and so there's just no way they're gonna win but daggum if they didn't waste an <laughs> three hours of our time. So, so we made the, the hard war choice. Of attrition. Yeah, it was. So we made the hard choice to just scrap that massive recording. One could al- almost say that we decided to hand wave it. <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> oh, I'm not familiar with that term. <laughs> But that is exactly what we're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> we are going to redo that episode. With, no, no, no. With that was a, pra- that was a practice run. It was a practice yeah. run. It was a practice run. And it was a valuable lesson learned uh, for us that maybe, you know, hopefully we can pass this lesson on to you guys. Uh, you listeners out there who are running your own games or thinking about running a game or whatnot, uh, we want to be able to pass this on. Now, I, w- I will say this. In a normal game, a normal non-recorded game around the table, if you chose to do the individual combat against those three mortals the way we did, you would probably still have a good time. We had a good time. We, we were all saying yeah. that afterwards. Like, this was fun. We enjoyed it, you know. Uh, it yeah. did go much longer than I thought it would, though. It did. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, we're recording the show uh, with people who look are, up charms here yeah and there. but we're, we were looking up charms also you know like doing the game as a distance game you know with people on headsets and whatever yeah and uh, we had several noobs in the uh, in the group and so you know we're all just trying to figure figure out how all this stuff works well Corey, and, i believe that some of the issue comes that it's something that you would never um consider unless you are recording what you're doing you are so like okay well we need to read this charm one more time to right. make sure whereas if you were just sitting at a table with your friends you would quick you know you, yeah. yeah you just say let's just do it and then like two weeks later you're like hey i was looking over that charm and we totally screwed that up but no right. big deal we just don't want to do it next time but if right. you record it 
then it's out there forever. And then like some guy three years down the road who stumbles across this recording says, "Hey, these guys don't know what they're doing. What, what the heck? You right, know, right. they didn't even read <laughs> yeah, the charm." It, you're right. That does that does have a pretty big impact on on just kind of how you feel about all of that while you're playing. So you know, but but like I said, if you if you made this choice, and I would consider this the wrong choice, by the way. But if you made the choice to have three mortals go as individuals rather than a battle group, um, well, you're still going to enjoy all of that. There's a lot of opportunity for stunting. There's really no, there's really no threat uh, well, at Corey, all. Corey, actually, you mm. know, we were making this decision whether or not we, you know, you were saying uh, there are three guys. Is it a size zero, a size, you know, one, you know, uh, going back and forth. But the rules actually say that a battle group is used whenever there are more than two combatants on a battlefield who are reasonably similar right. to one another in terms of capability and equipment. Right. It was right there for us, and yeah. we just we just uh, we, we overlooked it. it. We overlooked <laughs> it, right? And and also, I think I think we didn't at that time have a full appreciation of the wisdom of that rule, <laughs> right? Right. right. <laughs> you know, well, what, what would it matter if there were four or five guys? I mean, you know, we're going to beat them anyway. But but the problem is when you when you choose the individual combat style instead of a battle group, you know, some some might say, oh, well, you got to watch out for onslaught penalties of all the if all those people choose to attack the same person, they're going to drive their defense down, and that is true. But mm-hmm. I think that the bigger deal is the fact that the in, the initiative gains that you make hitting hitting one person, you know, oh yay, look, I get I'm up to 16 initiative. Now I can take a really good decisive attack. The, the next two guys who attack you just drain that initiative right away. Yeah, it right. really feels like you're spinning your wheels because you're trying to just get enough initiative to make an attack. It's just way too much back and forth. It's way too much back and forth, which is the exact reason why they said if there's more than two, do a battle group. And I ran the uh, I ran a test on what would have happened if we would have done a battle group. <laughs> And literally one of the characters would have just killed them all three in the, in the very first roll. And so, <laughs> and so, so, uh, so that's what we'll be going with when we sit down to re-record episode two again. So, uh, so we're, we're, we're still working on wild shape. I, I hope you guys are a little patient with us as we try to get this together. We're, you know, this is a sort of new experience for a lot of us. It's going to be games. worth the wait. It is. We're trying to make this something that is truly good and not just a raw recording of people sitting around playing a game, which can get boring and, you know. So, yeah, so we're trying to make it something that you're really going to want to listen to. But the the catch there, I think, is that, you know, there are some podcasts that might release an actual play thing every, like, week or maybe two weeks. Maybe ours won't be that frequent, right. but the, the trade-off is that, in theory, it should be much higher in quality. Right, yeah. But that's what we're aiming for anyway, and, and I hope that'll be the case when it finally comes out. I think it well, will. Well, we are shooting to uh, not have delay between slices of that one story, right? We're right, going to record yeah. that entire story, and then you may get two to three episodes a week. Yeah, and then there's for a that break story, and then, and then there'll one. be yeah. a little bit of a break because yeah. we have to keep our marriages intact. And <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, we don't have to. How much do we love Exalted? (laughs) 
yeah, yeah. Sorry, man. Defining intimacy. Um, no, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> but but it gives us a good opportunity to talk about this this combat in Exalted and when you make these choices. So there's not just there's not just the individual style which uses all the withering decisive rules that you know so well from reading the third edition core book. The the rules that blow you away the first time you read them and you go, oh my goodness, this is amazing. You know, uh, it's not. There's not just that style of combat. There's also this mass combat rules, the battle groups and whatnot. And then there are two other ways that combat can be resolved. One of those has to deal with non-combatants and trivial opponents. And there's a special sidebar that explains how those particular rules work. And then a fourth one, the, the, the core rule book says in another sidebar, you can just simply skip it and make a very simple <laughs> role. And so th- those are four legitimate ways of handling combat in your game. And I want to just talk for a minute about, just have a discussion about what each one of those seeks to accomplish and when you should use them and how a storyteller goes about making that decision. So let's just start with, let's start with the first one, the, the, you know, the, the exalted third edition combat that everybody's very familiar with this individual style that uses withering attacks to gain initiative and then decisive attacks to do health track damage. This is the main combat rules. So what's the best time to use this one? This is when Luke Skywalker is on Cloud City and he faces off against Darth Vader when the entire stake of the story is up for grabs, that's when you use this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's It's an important one-on-one showdown or maybe a two-on-two or or even a three-on-one or something but it's this is this is a big showdown that you don't want to just simply skip over really quickly you want the exciting music playing if if it's a if it's a movie right that like like charles said you know that that scene in cloud city where it's a back and forth back and forth and then you know finally a move is made that deals some decisive damage or whatever and this is where you play up the Takes drama. Takes off a hand. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> alert. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, so th- this Charles, is... Charles, that movie came out before you were born, didn't it? <laughs> it did. It came out in 1980, Jim. Yes. And in 1980, <laughs> I saw this movie like 21 times in the theater. But because uh, Corey is as old as Cloud City, <laughs> I did have that. I did have the toy of the cloud car. You know, I never really understood that vehicle. Are both people driving? Why are they both in there? I don't understand. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so this is this is where you want to just take the drama to the max and just you know squeeze every bit of excitement out of a one-on-one combat or a very important combat. Uh, it's an opportunity for characters' abilities to really shine. In a dramatic way, this is where most of the charms in the book are actually uh, focused is on this. So you, you definitely don't want to skip these all the way. Uh, and then, right. of course, you know, your final battle, your final battle with your main antagonist or whatever. That th- Those are the main places where you want to use this. Uh, any other thoughts about that? Yeah, I just I keep thinking of it more in terms of story though like uh, not that anything you're saying is wrong but to me when i'm looking at these different uh levels of combat i just think that this like individual withering and decisive combat rules is the one where if you win you like win the story and if you lose 
the story drastically changes. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. So it's not it's not even all I don't think it's even always about like, oh, you finally are facing off against that abyssal that you've been hunting this whole time. It might even just be like a really competent mortal foe, like right. one guy. But the the catch is depending on how this one fight goes, there is a huge departure in the storyline. Right. So it's not just it's not always the power level either. Right. I mean, that's one thing to keep keep uh, in consideration. But. Well, and I was even thinking too, like you know, you could have that moment where, uh, you know, you challenge the the village chief or whatever to like one on one combat, even though he's you know mortal and whatnot. You still want that combat to play out yeah. in a very dramatic way, even though you're automatically going to win it, right? I mean. If you've yeah. got any sort of excellencies whatsoever, you're just going to be able to pour way more dice into your attacks than that guy is. And so you're going to win, but you want to win in a way that really shows off. And so even though it's against like a lesser opponent, you still want to play that drama out. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Well, moving on then to the battle group rules. So this used to be called mass combat rules in second edition. And now it's really just, it's a very streamlined system that uses battle groups. And I really, really appreciate what the devs have done with battle groups because they've made it so easy. It seemed like it was a massive chore in second edition to even think about doing the mass combat rules. But in third edition, man, these, these battle group things, it just, you know, taking away the need to do decisive damage, you know, making withering attacks against battle groups just write damage directly down onto their magnitude track. It makes this so simple and so quick, but you, you'd want to pick this. You want to pick these battle group rules like the, like the core rule book says, anytime you have more than two combatants on the field that are reasonably similar. And this is for, you're going to use these for large scale battles you're going to use these for fights where you expect the PCs to just mow down large numbers of enemies mm-hmm. because the individual combat rules are completely unsuited to this. <laughs> so we found out. Yes. And as <laughs> and, you will never hear. <laughs> yeah, right. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm even using these uh, battle group rules for a swarm. Now, I know, like, I went looking for some sort of developer precedent uh, as to how to run a swarm of things as I was designing our challenge in our Caldera game on deepwild.com I wanted like 10,000 of these little flaming locusts <laughs> to attack this town and so I went and got the dune swarm off of drive through RPG which is one of the 100 Devils Night Parade uh, like monthly things and they they treat that swarm, the doom swarm, as just a single combat or a single combatant. And so I I didn't really think that applied. So I I created a swarm out of the battle group rules, and I'm actually really liking where that's going. So I would say, large scale battles, where you just want to mow down a bunch of people and swarm. So that's kind of when to use it. Uh, but what do we use this for? I mean, so so in a, from a story perspective. Uh, what would you guys say, you know, when do we make this choice over the other? Well, Corey, when you're dealing with battle groups, um, something I had to do some thinking about, when you attack a battle group, like like Charles said in, in his 
initial game where the Don cast took out like 80 guys. Right. But in, in reality, he made one attack on one tick. Yeah. So mm-hmm. to me, I'm the, I'm like, you have to kind of pull yourself back and really visualize it more as a fluid thing. And you could describe it that way too. Say, like, let's say a guy has like two daggers and it's like, okay, you're up against the battle group, roll your dice and you like get like, I don't know, let's say like 16 successes and right. like you reduce Jeez. the size of this, 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 uh, it can happen. Yeah. Uh, it's not no, unheard of. I'm just like, holy crap. <laughs> so you reduce the size of this battle group. Okay. So you reduced it from a hundred to 12 men. Right. And, and it's gotta be more than, well, uh, I pull my dagger out and I throw it. Okay, eighty <laughs> men die. No, 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 no. You it got was to like say, Yondu's arrow. You got, after, after, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. Um, so after you see the results, okay, you're like, dude, you just killed eighty people. Right. Tell me how it happened. You're like, yeah. okay. So I flip in and I kill two guys like this and start spinning around and, you know, and these guys are hitting me, but I'm, you know, like, I don't know what you would do, but basically this is like, it's kind of like a capturing of something that happened like over time. Right. But mechanically you had to reduce it to one tick. So it's almost like, um, I don't know how to describe it, but the mechanics have to stay. I mean... Right. To keep order to the game. But well, reality in, is you're not making one attack right, and killing you know. 80 people with a dagger. But if you I remember mean, in second edition, when, when you went into mass combat rules, the ticks slowed down. Like they didn't just represent like a second. They represented, I think each one represented a minute or something. And so okay. the time dilated by a factor of 60 you know, when you went into right. mass combat and there's really nothing said about that in the third edition core, but I, or at least, or maybe I'm just overlooking it, but, um, I it think that to you be still, yeah, you still have to, to do that. Sense. Now yeah. the, the, the weird thing about it all is that you can have a mixed mm-hmm. combat with one individual, uh, general or something that is like, He's, he's within that battle group and you can right. attack the battle group or you can attack the general. And if you attack the general, things happen sort of on a, you know, a more, a more personal time scale. But if you're right. attacking the battle group, it almost has to happen in this like kind of elongated time scale. Well, well I, I can't help but think that we're overthinking this a bit. Like I get, I get what you're getting at. It's specifically with the two daggers instance. Um, I, I guess I guess what I would say is, the, I described it as he killed eighty out of a hundred dudes in one attack because his attack made sense. It was basically he threw his axe like a boomerang and it just swung around and chopped like eighty dudes that were literally surrounding them and right. then flew back to his hand. Well, I, I mean that makes sense. Yeah, I could um, I could just as easily have said if. You know, let's take your example, Jim, that he's um, some kind of rogue kind of character with two knives, that he still deals the same amount of damage, but maybe he only kills like 10 guys out of 100. I mean, in theory, that doesn't really matter. Right. Well, because it's not every loss of magnitude is 
uh, is a death. It, it's also people who run off, right? So exactly. They're, they're running exactly. off into the night. And so this, you know, this horrible terror that's like spinning, you know, web of death in the middle of their ranks, just people are like, I'm out of here. And they take off running. Right. So I don't think it, it, well, yeah, it actually assumes that people are running off because every time they lose magnitude, they, they have can, to make a route check. Right. To and see they can also if rally they for completely numbers. break away. A commander um, can rally for numbers to get some of the exactly. magnitude back that's yeah. been lost. And so, right. So I think you just kind of need to be um, kind of loosey-goosey with it. Like, if it makes sense right. and, you know, if, if, you take a, yeah, if you take a battle group from size 2 down to size 0, I mean, you're going from 100 dudes to, like, 2 based right. on what the core rulebook says. But right. maybe you really only kill, like, 30 guys or something like that. It right. doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah. In fact... It's easier to describe a lot of the loss of magnitude, especially if they have a commander, or really only if they have a commander is this important, but it's helpful to describe some of that loss of magnitude as being people running off, because if they do a rally for numbers action, and you described everybody as dying, <laughs> then... <laughs> what are you, you gonna know, say? They came back to life. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I didn't even consider that in right. the in that one instance when I used a battle group. But it, there also wasn't a commander either, so. right? So you didn't have to worry about it too much, right? And like now, with our swarm, I mean every every one that gets killed is just killed, right? I mean because they're yeah. not fleeing in terror. It's essentially a perfect morale, and so. Uh, the, you know, people who are swinging walls at them and doing like chain blenders and everything else to kill them. Like they're actually swiping away and killing these things. So it just, so, it just depends on your story. Once again, I also think that battle group rules are an opportunity for your character's abilities to really shine in a dramatic way. They are. I, I almost think that might be more applicable in battle groups than in like the one-on-one -on -one kind of showdowns, but I'm right. not sure. Well, I mean, and again, I don't because wanna... that's where your power is the most powerful. It right? is, and I don't want to you know do spoilers for our show, but um, but there, yeah, you, <laughs> there's a, there's a difference between a lot of jumping around and ducking under things and stabbing and blocking and stabbing, and, and just somebody you know walking out and just handling people really fast right i mean because <laughs> that <laughs> i'm trying to remove like all specifics yeah. from this but like <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah you know one of the one of the sad things about cutting that episode is we're gonna lose the dude sliding under the horse on his knees and uh ringing the bell of the uh stallion <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll just force that back into the replay. Uh, that's, a, that's a gambit called D-Horse. So if you uh, slide yeah. under a horse and you ring his bell, you can uh, you have a good chance of throwing the rider. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, no, I mean, it does. Like, if, if somebody just, you know, comes out, handles three people real fast, and, and you allow them to describe how they pulled that off, you know, you give, you give them a real chance to just add a whole lot of character and personality to that, you know. Uh, right. Just, all right, you rolled enough to completely decimate this group. You you say what happens, you know, and then you could say, well, I killed these two this way, and then that one ran like a turkey, you know. And, you know, it's up <laughs> gobble, to you. Gobble, gobble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you could say, I killed them all three, and this is how I did it, you know. And so, um, 
So yeah, that does give you a good chance to shine. You're right. It's it's just a different way. But it it, it is different, yeah, because in the one-on-one stuff, you're shining because you're going to get to use more charms because that right. battle is going to go longer, right? right. Whereas right. in the and you won't necessarily feel like I'm the unstoppable force of all of creation de- depending on who you're fighting right right um but with battle groups like if you let loose you are gonna feel s- so powerful it's yeah. insane yeah exactly yeah i, I mean right. we had folks Corey, going... i want to throw out a, an, an objection to okay. the battle group rules this this isn't mine but okay. this is a complaint that you read about on the forums and stuff uh people say well when you use battle group rules uh, a really powerful solar could just take out a size five and he's in no danger at all of getting killed. Oh yeah. I read that. So yeah. what is your response to that? False. Well, <laughs> I would, I would make several responses. First of all, I thought that was the case until I actually tried throwing solar, you know, solars up against a pretty big battle group and wonder, you know, and you know, I had read some of those complaints too, but uh, just actually thinking about the lethality of a, even a size three battle group against a team of four solars, the fact that you have really no way to regain initiative if it gets lost from a withering attack done by the battle group, uh, the only way to regain initiative, you regain one for a successful attack made against it, and you regain five, you get an initiative break essentially if you reduce its oh, size dang. right that's right but that is it that, because you don't steal initiative from the battle group uh the battle group however does steal initiative from everybody and in, in like one attack it doesn't steal the initiative it doesn't give it take it for itself but it removes your initiative right so you uh you know you have four guys standing there the battle group makes an attack that hits all four of them and yeah. if if it drives them into uh, you know, because if you're, you're talking about like a joint battle situation, everybody's got, you know, six or seven, whatever initiative. And that battle group makes a pretty good attack and drives people down into initiative crash. Now, Gosh. every withering attack that that thing makes, it's going to hit everybody, first of all. And it's going to do health damage to everybody in one shot. So yeah. if the rolls go badly, you could end up with some very hurt solars very quickly, even with a size three. And if and that's and now I'm talking, you know, I'm, I'm thinking to our swarm thing on Deep Wild, but that's a that's a battle group with absolutely no drill, no commander, you know, like none of this stuff, no, nothing that actually makes them a fighting force. It's really just a swarm of stupid bugs, right? So. Even that swarm has the potential to TPK, right? Has the, te- the potential to kill the entire party. <laughs> because if you do go into initiative crash, you've got no way of regaining that initiative. So, I mean, you, you might have to hide for the three rounds until your initiative resets or something. Because, I mean, you want to get out of there. Because if, if you can't regain initiative, the next attack is going to start laying damage on your damage track. And so wow. I, think, I think that that is dangerous. And now if you talk about, so yeah, okay, so a solar can tear up a battle group. Um, if, if the battle group has a commander, when that commander That's does it. a command action, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like all the successes that he rolls on that command action become 
uh, they become dice that get rolled by anything that the battle group does, right? So if he mm-hmm. makes five successes on the command action, now the battle group's rolling five more dice on everything, right? And so any battle group with a commander with some level of drill, you know, whatever, like they, and, and the size, you know, which of course adds to all the stats, I don't think it's an easy fight. I really don't. I think that people have played around with small battle groups and they see how fast they go down and they think that, oh my goodness, this is a complete pushover and I don't think they do the math. So I think inexperience, uh, or you know, when you actually experience this, when you actually play with it in a game, you'll see that it's much more dangerous than you think it might be. I don't think I realized you didn't gain initiative back. Yeah, that was a surprise to me. <laughs> I'm, I might have even done that wrong. Oh, okay. Now, now that I think about it, another hand wave. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be a hand wave. It's, he just, no. He's just going all jazz hands over there. <laughs> it's exalted. <laughs> Nothing I do is right. <laughs> Don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think that one of the major, in fact, probably the single biggest factor in the lethality of a battle group is a commander. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah and I deal. think that's one of those things that, as much as I like battle groups, and I've read those rules quite a bit believe right. it or not right <laughs> um but uh i i don't think even i still really understand how much of a difference that one little bit makes well and it's one of those things you're just not going to really fully you know have an understanding of it, have a good feel for it until you actually try it in the game yeah yeah dang well let's let's move on and talk about the third type of combat which is non-combatants and trivial opponents so this this appears in a sidebar in the combat chapter it talks about those who are just normally expected to be extras hanging out on the sidelines of a combatant and it says that these are usually just there for stunt fodder but what happens if you want to engage some of these people that really just aren't fighters uh, they pose no threat, but you want to engage them in combat in some way, how do you do it? And so the sidebar says to treat them as a size zero battle group. So you can treat an individual as a size zero battle group. And what that really just means is every one of your withering attacks just writes damage directly down onto the health track. And this feels most like second edition combat. It's essentially, it's the most like second edition you can get. You just, you know, go after it, pile on the dice and every success is a damage that goes against that person. You're going to, you're going to kill people really fast this way. Uh, But where do you draw the line though? I mean, for example, the very first antagonist in the core book, you know, when you go to that antagonist chapter is the brigand and the brigand is a typical antagonist for a lot of, for a lot of stories, you know, you're on the, you're on the road and, you know, highwayman steps out and, you know, points a crossbow at you and, you know, you have to decide what you're going to do. Of course, you're a solar. You ought to be able to handle this dude, but do you go and use the individual combat rules for him? Or do you just simply, you know, treat the brigand as a trivial opponent and just, you know, have withering damage, go straight onto his health track? I mean, how do you how do you draw that line? How do you make that decision? Because if you look at the Brigand stats, he's going to die easily either way, right? So, so when do you make the decision to go withering decisive, and when do you make the decision to go size zero battle group? 
Um, it, it just, I think the biggest question, once again, is the role that the combat takes in the story. Right. So, is this guy just a tiny little pawn in between you and your objective and like does it it's assumed that you're going to get through him do you want there to be more combat like has your session not had very much is your combat heavy person feeling like they're not getting to use uh kind of the main aspects of their character very much well in that case i think you say hey we're going to do like a real quick one-on-one fight right right because it'll it might take two rounds instead of one like it would with a size zero battle group and if the combat heavy character rolls really low on initiative he might not even get to attack the battle group so i i think i really feel strongly that that's how basically all of these categories come down to is or do you want more combat in your session well if you do throw in more one-on-one stuff right and do you just want like are they just kind of a little obstacle in the way then move more towards battle groups and some of that i think is just going to be it's it's going to be to taste as you you know yes. you're going to have to get get a feel for that the more you well, play well because the uh my avenging angel doncast character does he have has a name told me yes it's bjorn <laughs> okay <laughs> just i just remembered it yeah it's bjorn so uh he's played by my friend joel so well joel outside of the game has told me he doesn't like battle groups oh. and that really confuses me because because he laid waste to one yes and i'm like <laughs> dude that's so freaking awesome and i think that he was upset that it was over so quickly right so yeah. I think that in the future, I'm going to have to include some more one-on-one stuff because exactly. I, I personally love battle groups. Oh, yeah. I've I grown think to love they them are, really fast. I think they are infinitely more satisfactory in basically every way. Right. Um, but if he's the main one doing combat and he doesn't like them, then... I kind of, well, I don't kind of need to. I need to adjust the game to suit the style that he's expecting. Well, and if he gets a couple of of good one-on-one fights with folks and then another battle group comes along, he's going to be, you know, he'll be fine. He just, he just wants to be able to stretch his legs a little bit. Kind of like we talked last, last episode, you know, looking forward to that big fight so you can really just, you know, unleash all this stuff that Mm -hmm. you've got, you know, so. Well, you also have the option. You can have the battle group plus uh, an individual antagonists that doesn't yeah, fall yeah. with the battle group like right. hey you go take the big guy and uh the other two guys will handle the battle battle group yeah you that's, know, that's right. a good point yeah that one's mine yeah he goes off yeah. stalks that one down <laughs> and then, yeah and it gives and you know that gives people something to do you know you, you have these turns and then everybody's got a chance to do something you know interesting and yeah so that's good it's good wisdom and then the fourth the fourth type is just very simple skip it that's what the the sidebar on page 212 (laughs) says so you can skip it and the example that they give is uh you know this character kind of sneaking up on on a guard or something and the storyteller sets a difficulty two task of a dexterity plus melee to just quickly dispatch this hapless sentry before he can raise an alarm and the reason for giving some dice roll there 
I believe, is so that if there is a botch, you can, mm. you know, properly describe that botch because botches can be really great story tools, <laughs> you know. I, I remember that, back the old um, I don't think I don't think it was West End Games Star Wars the role playing game second edition. It might be the one that Wizards of the Coast did that was sort of based on the D and D D twenty yeah the D twenty system uh, Star Wars rules. But one of those two because I I actually own on both. the shelf behind me. Oh, is it really? <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, one of those two has this description of like the dramatic failure or whatever they called it. I don't think they called it a botch in those games but whatever the dramatic failure the rolling a one right the critical fail um it said that a, a good example of this in the star wars movies is when han solo is sneaking up on the scout troopers on return of the jedi and he steps on a twig and it's just like this loud like this crack sound and the you know he Wait, was what's the sound uh yeah don't worry about it okay <laughs> insert foley sound here um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so he steps on this uh, shkak. That's totally not the way. It goes. <laughs> what sticks are indigenous to the area you live in? <laughs> maybe they're sticks. Maybe they're kittens. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> oh, Ooh. Uh, too soon. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so <laughs> so he steps on this stick. I'm not gonna do the sound. And uh, the scout troopers like they go, what? What's that? And they turn around and they look at him. And he just kind of shrugs, you know, and then this this speeder chase ensues. And they said, imagine what would have happened if he would have nailed the stealth roll, right? He would have snuck up on these guys, killed them. They never would have gone on the speeder chase. The speeder chase led directly to Princess Leia encountering the Ewoks. And it was the Ewoks that helped the rebels win the fight and bring down the shield and destroy the death star right spoiler alert so um <laughs> so without star wars is just ruined for everyone listening to I know. oh these poor children of the future like i've been waiting to get to those movies and i just haven't yet but they've all been ruined by the deliberative but uh <laughs> but, but i mean that's a that's a really interesting example right because his botch made them like won the day for the rebels like when you really trace out the you know the sequence of events that botch allowed the rebels to win and defeat the emperor uh, but at the same time at the time it was a spectacular failure right just like i i myself rolled a one trying to make a stick breaking sound uh totally botched <laughs> on that one oh, <laughs> 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 it's, it's like it's like schnarf on thundercats who really wants a snack uh. <laughs> yeah so anyway uh so it gives you a chance to botch but uh when would you guys when would you guys use this one to skip it you think of just something off the top of your head you'd be like oh yeah i've used that i mean so i used that in my game this past week when they encountered the oh, yeah, uh, what i'm calling husks right, which are the soul-drained missing townspeople right? right and i knew like they would kill him no question he was unarmed unarmored and completely incapable of defending himself right so there was no reason to draw that out any more than just like exactly hey are you going to kill him or does he get to make like one free attack against you and then you kill him the next turn right, right. yeah and i remember uh 
so the, I remember the first time I read through the third edition core book when that came out and oh my goodness what a holiday that was uh, we finally get our hands on the book and I was just tearing through it as fast as I could just reading everything finally get to the combat chapter maybe the first day maybe the second day I can't remember but uh, I'm reading through this and I'm, I'm reading all this stuff about withering and decisive and whatnot I'm thinking to myself oh man this is just the coolest thing ever it is the coolest thing ever and then we decide we're going to try we're going to try to do a little third edition game on our play by post forum and i went to do a fight club a combat test with my Dawncast solar gauss from the forbidden game that we played on the on the shocker board. yeah well i mean he was my solar <laughs> right but i went to do a combat test with him in third edition and, and of course the first person i put him up against is the brigand in the antagonist chapter all right gauss versus brigand and i i get my first taste of this withering decisive thing where i'm like oh gauss can't just punch him into dust anymore like he has to (laughs) he has to actually wither him first like that's completely not his style right like he doesn't he doesn't like try to like do a little ducking and weaving and backing the dude into the corner so he can finally get a decisive attack he just walks up and just like punches the dude into giblets and um and so i was i was like oh you know just like disappointed like, <laughs> like, oh man no. but these last two combat styles that we talked about the the trivial trivial opponent of setting somebody as a size zero battle group and the skip it bring back the ability for your giant yeah. he-man dawn cast to just punch through a dude's chest and rip his because heart out. you were all you weren't doing that to any of the more like you know that wasn't going to be an essence three dragon blooded oh yeah army general or anything right. like that it was like you know farmer joe with a pitchfork and you're like okay i punch him and his face vaporizes right like, yeah. but that's the way all the the test combats went in second edition right second edition yeah. one punch it's over and then in third edition you know i'm trying to use these withering decisive rules and it's like okay i have to do this first then i can punch him and it's over you know and so being able to treat farmer joe or whoever as a size zero battle group or just you know with this uh quick and dirty skip it method i think just it, it really does bring some of that back and, and and again it's like we've been saying this whole time it's up it, as a storyteller you've got to decide what do you want this to look like and so if you've got that combat heavy character who's just really good he does not need to waste time with little trivial things he needs to just be able to just cut them down punch their heart out whatever so i think it all you know just all comes back to the storyteller and how you want a particular fight to be perceived and to play out how you want that story flow to happen and uh, so it's really it's up to you and the decisions that you make there they're they're going to be good for your game and so that your your players can have a lot of fun and so just be thinking about that as you make the decision which to do but by golly, if you have more than two people that are the same. <laughs> if you're not using battle groups, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, good. Well, I hope that's been helpful. You know, it's helpful for us just to talk through this, to think about this. But I hope it's helpful for you guys, too, as you're thinking about your games and, and how to run this stuff. And so we want to move now into our character seed of the week. And Jim has brought a very special character seed for us this week. What do you got for us, Jim? Well, I went 
I went a little dark. Ooh. So, this isn't the happy-go-lucky stuff that I normally write. This is a little, little, little on the dark side. But, Stay tuned um, for next week for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the concept is unforgivable debtor, and okay. the character seed is you are a decent person. You served your leaders in the town militia. But due to age requirements or peaceful times, they didn't need you anymore. You returned to family life, but found it difficult to profit off your unique set of skills. You, <laughs> you try being a bouncer, even a caravan guard, but the pay didn't make up for the risk and your homestead suffered while you were away. You mm. hated the idea, but at the time, it seemed the only way to feed your loved ones was to take a loan from a powerful crime organization. Mm. Unable to pay the loan back, they took advantage of your talents you learned in the militia and forced you into a life of crime. Uh, at first, the, the, at first, the money kept you fed and began paying down your debt, but the life of crime comes with a price. After obtaining what seemed like enough ill-gotten gain, you tried to leave the criminal lifestyle, but your employers would hear nothing of it. Through blackmail and manipulation, they, you keep getting dragged back in. Growing tired of your lack of cooperation, they set you up. Uh, not only do they ensure that the authorities discover your unwanted line of work, they tip off your loved ones and they discover the double life you are involved in. Ooh. Facing arrest and rejection, you must flee for your life. That is the moment the unconquered son gives you with abilities to get away. Now he's the only thing you have left. So when I was thinking about this wow. character. I like that a lot. I do. Um, remind, there's there's so many good tropes like that in movies and stories and whatnot, but this, uh, yeah, I haven't really seen too many role playing characters that are like you know that that's their story. That's really cool. That is cool. I mean, I kind of <laughs> it's 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 a little bit of um, uh, what's his name Walter White. Yeah, where <laughs> you start doing <laughs> yeah. something. <laughs> to to try to do something good but eventually it ends up what you were working toward ends up falling apart like right. you lose the whole reason you started this thing it, which is right. it, which is what happens to uh this character seat um and i wrote it in second person like <laughs> like we need to do now gold star <laughs> <laughs> well basically the character i, I wrote is a night cast solar Okay. And uh, I'm not going to go through the entire. I will just sum up. Uh, basically, he uh, served in the armies in the Blessed Isle. He was supposed to um, exalt. He was supposed to be a terrestrial exalt, but it never happened. Mm. So they kind of pushed him aside and, you know, said, well, you know, we thought this was going to happen, but it never really did. So we don't need you anymore. You know, he was broke and he took uh, he borrowed some money from this group called the Network, which is an underground organization in the Blessed Isle. I just made them up. You can use them if you want. Um, <laughs> any, no extra charge for that one. Anyways, um, so basically he is... He, he has a lot of stealth charms um, and he is he's an assassin you know and so he's basically killing people left and right uh, to try to pay off his debt but they, they keep kind of well we didn't really apply the um, 
the uh, interest rate that we were supposed to apply correctly. Right. So we need you to do one more job. And he's like, oh. so eventually he starts getting noticed by the higher ups. Like the, the guy he's directly working for is kind of taking advantage of him. But the, right. the people above that guy are like, hey, this guy's this guy's good. So that gets caught when of to the guy he's working for. So he ends up setting him up. And not only does he set him up during the assassination, he ma- he makes sure that the uh, Seamus—that's the name of the character—Seamus's wife is actually seated in a position where she sees her husband commit the deed. Oh, so it just destroys his life. Right. And uh, he ends up fleeing the brother. Uh, well, the unconquered son bestows the gifts on him as he's fleeing the Blessed Isle. You know, because there's no way you're getting out of there without some kind of divine help. So. He eventually flees to look shy, and uh, that's where he's living currently. So, yeah, it was fun making this character. Got to work with a lot of the cool stealth charms, and I took stealth yeah. as a supernal. So, man, Ooh, nice. when you get like when you get some um, essence two, essence three stealth charms, they are yeah. pretty yeah. stinking awesome. Yeah. They're <laughs> sick. Yeah. Well, th- and the stealth charm has like two little branches in it. One's like kind of like just hiding. And one mm-hmm. is like stabbing people in the back, you know, and like right. hiding and like getting the surprise attack on them. So I went with a lot of those. Uh, with there's this also a, there's another branch of that stealth charm tree where you it's just like shape shifting. <laughs> is there? I don't remember <laughs> that part. <laughs> you said stealth was his supernal, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So one of the characters in my group has stealth as supernal, and he so when they found that townsperson out in the woods he made himself look like the baker because he thought oh well oh, right yeah this thing was wrong with the baker so it seems like or disguise is that rather. a stealth charm or a larceny disguise. charm yeah, it's yeah. Disguise, yeah yeah but there's some in the stealth that just like you can you can be standing right in front of somebody and you can kind oh, of you disappear delete yeah. yourself oh, yeah. from their <laughs> yeah, from their mind yeah it's very it's a very cool thing i gave that to the they character can still that i created like, bump into you and smell you and stuff like that but they and if somebody points you out you. they can see you. yeah but so well well yeah that's that's awesome uh really good like i said really good idea classic trope not used very often but would make a perfect character i mean this is like this is almost like World of Darkness type character, you know, in terms yeah. of just like I really like that one. Yeah, I do too. So we'll be putting that up on Five Poles very soon. Probably by the time you hear this episode, it'll be up there. You can go check that out, download the character sheet, all the other good stuff there. So be sure to check it out. Well, we have a special treat tonight. Uh, I believe on the message machine, we are going to find an old friend. Josh, who sent us our very first voicemail has sent us another one. So I'm very excited to hear what Josh has up. We uh, haven't run him off yet. That's awesome. (laughs) Thanks for sticking around, Josh. Uh, So yeah, so let's go hear what he has to say here. Let's go to the machine. Hello, gents. It's your first caller, Josh, again, and I have another question for you. I'm running a weekly game for six people, and I'm keeping up with it pretty well, but our group is very socially focused and slings a lot of social influence around. One place I find I'm slipping is keeping track of everyone's intimacies and limit triggers enough to call for limit roles in the moment. Do you have any tips or suggestions for managing that? Thanks again. All right. Good question. Question about limit triggers. 
and when to you when to make people you know go through the limit gate and all that kind of stuff uh my own personal and now i understand six players you know having six players in your game that is a that's mistake. a lot yeah <laughs> <laughs> mistake is the word you were searching no, no, for no, no. i think it could be done but it's definitely heavy that's heavy in a lot of ways right yeah that's heavy in combat just waiting for your turn to come around when there's five other people well six other people counting the storyteller and all their crazy menagerie but uh it's hard on the players it's hard on the storyteller but uh but when you come to something like this this kind of side issue of limit which is a big part of the game you know with the great curse and all that but uh when you have that many players to to have to juggle you know you're not just slipping you've got too much other stuff to do to have to keep up with all of this kind of stuff too my best advice would be to encourage the players themselves to each watch themselves you know when it comes to limit just watch yourself like a hawk right you pay attention to this you make this something that's like a part of the game for you as a player track this and have some integrity and take some responsibility themselves for tracking this limit thing and let them know that it's actually it's a big part of the fun of the game you know going into a limit break while it sounds, I mean, if you read some of the example limit breaks in the core book, <laughs> it's horrific. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like this is real, real bad, right? But it's it's not real, real bad. I mean, it is if if this was real life and you were really doing that to real people. But in terms of the story, man, this is like a golden moment. You know, I can't tell you how many characters. Like, it, well, I only had one character that we play that I played in a solar game, but I can't tell you how much I was looking forward to him going into limit break like i wanted oh that gosh. to happen so bad that would have been so bad <laughs> it been, but it would have been so fun and you know i wouldn't have cared if he would have died or if he would have like just you know I, I mean like it just would have made the story so cool and so i kept wanting to gain limit you know there just weren't a whole lot of opportunities to do so so i think if you just talk it up with your players and let them know that this is something that can be a whole lot of fun. So please watch it for yourself, you know. And if you notice that, you know, you've you've done one of these things, you've you've gone against your limit trigger or whatever, uh, catch that and write it down. And I would say that if you've got players who aren't motivated to do that, like they they seem to be wanting to skip out on it. Just tell them, like, if I catch you doing it, like, if if it goes right by you and you don't write it down or whatever, and I have to, like, kind of go back later and go, hey, remember last week when you did this and that, and that went against your limit trigger and we didn't do anything about it? Tell them, I'm going to give you somewhere between two and five points of limit if you don't catch it yourself. Jeez, okay? dude. I, may, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little heavy-handed there, but... At least two. Five right? limit in one go is yeah, like. Yeah, that's really heavy. Oh, God. But at least like two or something, right? So you can go, all right, you know, this is, there's a little bit of a punitive measure here for somebody who's not paying good attention or else was trying to sneak one by because this is a fun part of the game and I want you to experience it, right? So I think that there are things like that that you can do. Not every not hey, every player is going to respond well. Hey, to guys, it. if memory serves me correct, wasn't it Josh that wrote in about preludes i believe so yeah so look at this when your character when a player gives you a character sheet says this is my character let's do a prelude look at the limit trigger and like say okay your character is in this situation 
and he does this, you know, and it goes directly against that, you know, hmm. yeah. that way, that way, when you both, you are as a storyteller, you're pointing out to your player. This is what you wrote down on your sheet. This is how your character reacts in this situation. And I'm going to put you in that situation in a prelude. And I want to see how you would react to this or that. And then also as a storyteller, it's cementing that memory in your mind while you're right. playing it. And you're like, you know, there's a little girl and like she's trapped in a bear trap and all the solars walk by like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know one of you guys is going to have an issue with this. Right. I don't remember which one, but it's one of you. And yeah. Then like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I got to, I got to get the little girl out of the bear cage guys. Sorry. Um, <laughs> You know, right. whatever. But if you if you can use that in preludes too, it'll just it'll trigger that memory not only for you really but good point. for the character. Or yeah. for the player and his character. Yeah. It might be a little weird if you did it in every prelude for every game, but but it certainly is a really good tool, I think. That's well, it's example. something that's worth mentioning and talking yeah. about. Yeah. Like I see you I see you put down he you know, feels bad when he lets his team down. Uh, explain that. Well, I mean, well, you right. know, just get them to talk about it. Well, why did you pick this? And sometimes you may say they may be telling the char- their character backstory, and you're like, you know what? You picked this limit trigger, but the way you built the character, I think you should probably go with this one. But if you want to do the one you want, that's fine. And that way, you have a. The more you talk about stuff, the more that it's on your mind when you're playing the game. Right. And you it's not something you have to struggle to remember. It'll just something the situation will repro- uh, show itself and it, it'll trigger a memory like, hey, one of you guys I know is not cool with this and right. y'all know we need to talk about this, you know, or something. Right. Oh no, I'm just gonna take the limit. Okay, that's cool. Take it, you know. Yeah. And uh and move on. But yeah, interact with your preludes. That sounds like uh it would be something easy to do. It's good advice. So I actually have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, Do tell. I, good. Well, first off, I I would never be able to run a group of six solars. So, <laughs> hats off to you, Josh. That sounds insane to me, <laughs> but only because I know how much work it is running four. Because right. it ain't easy. No. And um, you know, I know that Jim. I think you had said at one point, you know, maybe having like a cheat sheet as a storyteller that has like. The characters' intimacies or limit triggers or stuff like that on there, or maybe that was you yeah. that said that. Corey. Yeah, I, I no, I think I said that, or I put it in the in the notes, but I just didn't mention it yet. But oh, uh, okay. yeah, but uh, to me, I think a storyteller should have a short description slash cheat sheet on. I mean, you do it on all your big antagonists, like. You right. should do it on the characters too. You should have some idea who these characters are that you're you're telling a story to. But yeah. yeah. The the problem there though because I tried to do that and keyword being tried. The problem is at minimum how many intimacies is a character going to have? 4, right? Yeah. Isn't it 4? Yeah. yeah. So that's 16 unique intimacies that you have to keep track of for four players. Like already that is an untenable task. Yeah, I agree. Like right out of the gate. And I almost immediately gave up on that. And I told them like, Hey guys, look, I have this story that I wrote. That's going to have some beats that will hit for each one of your characters. There will be different points where, um, Bjorn, 
the fighter is really going to shine. There are going to be some points where stall the uh, sorcerer is really going to shine. And then there are going to be some times where our new nightcast, uh, Saika, is going to be able to really come to the forefront. I cannot keep track of 16 different intimacies. and You I, don't have to. You don't well, have to, Charles. But here's here's the compounding problem. If they think you are, they'll keep track of it themselves. If you're going to yeah. throw that penalty, like, all right, look, guys, I'm writing down all your stuff, and uh, I'm going to just let you uh, take care of it yourself, then they'll take care of it themselves, and you won't ever have to look at the sheet. I if don't, I don't think- know that I agree with that. I'm just dropping a five-point penalty on you if you miss it. See, that's <laughs> I, I actually... I actually really disagree with you there, Corey, on that <laughs> I know, whole point. I know. <laughs> because, well, because, uh, like, initially when I read that in your notes, I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be good because it really would make them focus on it. But then the more I thought about it, and one thing you said just a few minutes ago is that Limit is kind of the one of the best parts of the game. It reminds me of um, when we would play Hunter and... Right. When we were using the Chronicles, rule. yeah, well, when we were using the Chronicles of Darkness rule set, so it was integrity, but more or less the oh, same thing. Yeah. Um, they had this system where you could, anytime you failed a roll, because you had dramatic failure, failure, success, dramatic success, right? Right. And with the dramatic on each end of the spectrum being above and beyond. Um, and they had this option where if you rolled a regular failure you could change it to a dramatic and they you would get rewarded for it mm. so that's kind of how i feel with the limit trigger like i get that you want that to be something that they keep in mind but if it's that important and if it's that cool of a system why would you punish them by using that same system right yeah no you're right you're right um you don't but, want it to turn into the, something the, not fun Exactly, but the catch is I don't really know what the answer is. I did tell my characters or my players. I said, "Look, I, I cannot track your intimacies because what I was going to say is the minimum per character is four. And let me tell you what, not a single one of my players left it at four. In fact, I think the fewest that one of them has is seven. Wow. And that I mean, it, it's like mind-boggling trying to even contemplate keeping up with all that you know i had almost a full uh sheet of notebook paper in front of me at one point and i was <laughs> like I, I can't do this right this can't be my job right. and i told them i've got this story that's going to hit beats for your character type and like when you start role playing a certain way I, I can try to lean into that you know like when they were discussing what to do with the body and the priest was like i can't go along with that uh you know with this lie right and so you know i kind of gave him a whisper in his mind of his conscience talking to him to like play more into that because he brought it up and i really i feel very strongly that that's just gonna have to be your character's job yeah there there's no way that a storyteller i'm I'm gonna disagree with you charles Okay. <laughs> and the reason I say that is yes, they have several um intimacies. Yes, it's a lot to keep up with. 
but you are not operating in a vacuum you are the storyteller so you know the situations that are most likely to come up and as you're putting the story together you could scan and say oh i need to make a note here because i am i know this is going to be an issue because right. i am i'm writing the story it's not like you know they're, they're not just traveling along a trail and like characters that you have no idea who they are pop up in front of them i mean you're the storyteller we all know we all know that if given options a b and c nine times out of ten the group is going to pick option d yeah <laughs> it happens every time it does it happens and a if lot. that's the if that's the case and if i'm trying to focus so hard on keeping the story as open as possible meaning not as tightly scripted as a pathfinder module would be where it's like you know area one two three four five and like you know that they're gonna go one through four first and they might go to five they might go to ten depending on right. if they go right or left you right. know I i'm trying to not do that and in doing that that gives them much more freedom yeah and in having more freedom the situations spiral completely into the infinite and there's just no way i can keep track of um seven plus intimacies for each character plus trying to remember the intimacies that i'm creating on the fly for the npcs they're interacting with and right. how that differs with this other npc i created 15 minutes ago and it's just it's too much yeah. it's too much so the way i see it is hey if you want to play a really compelling character you are going to have to drive the story towards your intimacies and you can even do that in out of game meta terms like saying oh hey my character has um a major tie of respect towards the mayor so you know what i i think i'm i think i'm gonna go ask the mayor what he thinks and then i could know cool he respects the mayor right. a crap ton i can play that up so maybe you might have to go a little meta with it in order to uh, really play into some of that stuff. But I, I just don't, I don't know how anyone could feasibly keep track of all of those. Sure. Unless you just said, I'm going to pick one intimacy from each character for this session and try to work that in. And then if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Well, remember that the... Uh... You know, we're not just talking about we're not just talking about intimacies here. We're talking about limit triggers and limit break, which I know have some connection to intimacies, but all the characters have picked one specific limit trigger. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a bit of a hybrid answer to this here because if you know that, you know, one of your characters cannot ever walk away from someone who's being mistreated or something like that then you as a storyteller know that you're you're putting into the story this woman who's being beat in the middle of town and if the characters walk on by the one dude who wrote that down as his limit trigger is going to get a point of limit break if he doesn't do anything and so you're going yeah. to know that up front like jim is saying you planned for that uh but you're also going to run into a lot of situations where like you, like you said charles they picked option d they went off the rails and they did something weird and something happens and you're not you don't have limit triggers or anything in your mind when it happens like let's just say uh as a completely 
uh, a, a completely hypothetical situation, a giant wild animal runs into town and <laughs> botches botches an attack roll and ends up I've never heard of this scenario before. <laughs> ends up collapsing half a building and sounds of screaming and pain are heard coming from inside the building. I don't know that they were heard very clearly. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody decides let's get the heck out of here <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and when you're the storyteller in a moment like that you're not always thinking hey limit trigger right like well <laughs> so i think i think that i got a little off topic i think that um i i yeah i, I started focusing too much on intimacies right. yes i think that every storyteller could have a little note card or piece of paper something post-it note that has each character's limit trigger on it because right. that's one thing for each character yeah and it'll be kind of broad so it wouldn't be hard to work stuff in there right. that is true but when it comes the, to social interactions that deal with end of season whatnot and when you're violating <sighs> some of those things the character really should be they should know yes. that. Then there's times where you're going to catch it because you know the character's story well, especially sure. after the, the game goes on for a while. And then there's some just very mechanical things like spending a point of willpower to ignore social influence or whatever, you know, which has this specific statement that says if you do this, then, you know, that gains you a point of limit or whatever. Uh, right. So, I mean, I think that I think that it's going to just be kind of a little bit of a messy middle here where the storyteller is going to know more about this than what we you know kind of said at first and then also the players i just think i just think if you can if you can co-opt the players in this though if you can if you can just teach them show them that this well, is a yeah, fun I th thing i think you're that have a big when win. when they for when they get that first point of limit i mean if we're talking about new players like my my party they you know right. never played exalted and two characters got limit in the same scene and at the end, you know, I ask them, hey, what did you not like? And hey, what did you like? So we can focus more on that. They all said, dude, that scene in the forest where it was like, I don't like lying, but there really wasn't any other option. And it really bugged me. They all mentioned the limit trigger. So I think that once you... Once you have it happen to one character and they see what kind of role playing it spurs on, right. you're never going to have to worry about it again. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. No. And I think maybe it will take that with an intimacy. Um, I know that um, we created some new intimacies in our first session, and I like to think they've been trying to push towards some of that stuff, but it's just harder to tell with intimacies. It is. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, I think, you know, I think we we kind of came to some good consensus there. And I hope that uh, some of this talk, maybe Josh, has helped you out thinking about, you know, what you might need to do there. I mean, clearly, fire at least two of the players. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, but hopefully that helps. And for those of you out there who are, who are just, you know, trying to worry, you know, think this through yourself. Hopefully we've given you something to chew on, but. All right, well, that about wraps it up for this week. So, guys, before we go, where can folks find more of your stuff? Well, you can find me on the Onyx Path forums as Lucky Chucky, and I also run our Facebook page, The Deliberative Podcast, as well as our Twitter account, at Deliberative Pod. And I'm 
starting to get back into streaming Netrunner, uh, Android Netrunner, which is a living card game made by Fantasy Flight, and I'll be doing that on is YouTube. Is it living? It, well, ironically, they just announced that after Worlds this year, it will not be. They canceled it, <laughs> so, which is very upsetting. But uh, no, there's a fan initiative underway to help continue it, like what happened with the Star Wars Decipher game and same with the Star Trek one. But anyway, so cool. I'm going to be getting back into streaming that. Um, I used to try to do it every Friday. It's going to be more intermittent because it takes up a lot of time. Right. Um but uh, my YouTube channel is System Outage. So if you like that kind of stuff, make sure to uh, check me out there. You can always find me at our website, fivepoles.com, or reach me direct. My email is james.fivepoles at gmail.com. I go by the name username Reform Ninja on most of the forums, but on the Deep Wild, I go by Jay Wesley. All right. Ooh. And for all game-related things, including the Onyx Path official forums and DeepWild.com, I am Numa Pilot. so check me out there. And if you have a question or issue that you would like us to discuss on the deliberative, like Josh did tonight, uh, please send your question to us at thedeliberativepodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, thedeliberativepodcast at gmail.com. And remember, if at all possible, send us a recording of yourself asking the question or making the comment. You can do that on an iPhone by going to the voice recorder app. You can do it on Windows by going to the sound recorder. And you can do that on Windows by ordering an iPhone, basically. <laughs> <laughs> you go to Amazon and order an iPhone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um Heck no, go to the Apple store. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You never know where those things come from on that Amazon thing. Yeah. So um anyway, yeah, so record yourself asking your questions send it in we love those we'll put you on the air we promise it'll be great hey guys don't forget to leave us a review on itunes uh you could be as cool as people like ben k625 mr turquoise and Sinathis, who have left some really good reviews for us on uh itunes and we appreciate it thank you for listening to the deliberative podcast now go forth and bring righteousness to the world as you know best goodbye everybody bio see ya Corey, how do you say Jeff's name? Is it Sinathus? Sinathus? I've always said That's how I've always said it. I said Sinathus. I said Sinathus. I've always said it's Sinathus in my head. Well, you, you know, know we're going to get a I'm, really I'm gonna, cryptic I'm, email about how to pronounce yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> it's I love xenophobia that creeps in at the end of every episode. <laughs> What's your hey, favorite I'm just part about say our podcast? The, the hardcore xenophobia. <laughs> no, no, say tonight, though, because you know it. It, yeah, just say or uh, whatever, however you pronounce it. We've mentioned Jeff on the I know, show, but if people go and look, they'll see Sinathus. <laughs> so, we should just say it differently every time we say it. <laughs> I would, like to, <laughs> I would like to thank Sinathius, Sinathus, Sinathus, and Sinathius. And Sinusitis. I said, 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 I
Sinai or Sinai? Sinai? I mean, technically, AI is a diphthong that makes the I sound. Sinithus. Really? Is it white or is it weight? Boom, roasted. Uh, It is (laughs) white. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Have faith, my friend. (laughs) Yeah, but seriously, though, AI is, I mean, technically, AI is a diphthong that makes the I sound, and AU is a diphthong that makes the owl sound. Sinithus. I would challenge you to find one word that had the cluster A-I-T-H that was pronounced any way other than eighth. Uh, let me think for a second. Charles makes a strong point. I really hope that none of this gets cut out, Uh, by the way. (laughs) This is gold right here. (laughs) Well, you know, Jeff, Jeff is a Greek student. And so he's thinking about this, I'm sure, the same way that I am with AI being a diphthong for I and AU being a diphthong for Al. I'm sure that's what he's got in his mind. I cannot Let's... wait for you to ask him. And he's like, oh, it's Sinathus. I'm like, yeah! He's like, it's, it's Sinathus! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you know how how people you know like in in kentucky there's the uh Ombra river which is spelled exactly like embarrass and, but, no. the, but the people pronounce it Ombra. so this no is, way yeah so this is something like uh no man it's sana hey did you know that in every other country adidas they say adios that's weird Anyway. Really? It's crazy. Okay. So there we go. Adios. <laughs> okay. Take us home, Jim. Yeah, take us home. Watch the, wor- watch the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And this is uh, Bink. Is that Bank? Bank 625? Either one will be fine. I'm looking at Bank. Bank 625. And what about Mr. 625 and Mr. Turquoise? And, uh, I think you mean yeah. Murtaquazi. Yeah, Murtaquasi. I was going to say Turquoise. <laughs> oh, man. Please, Corey, you have to leave this stuff in. This no, is so it's good. It's not happening. It's not Turquoise. It's, not. it's gone. Hey, you know what you should do? You should cut this part out as like a blooper part. Because I... I genuinely think people would laugh at us talking about this because it's so stupid we can put it after the end music for people who just happen to listen past it